Well, Happy New Year, everybody. How are you doing? Good. You got to sleep in a little bit. Yep. Hey, um, how many of you all made New Year's resolutions this year? Who's going to make a New Year's resolution? Come on. Be proud. Lift them up high. That's right. Um, I am terrible at New Year's resolutions. I quit. I'm so bad. I just quit making them all the way around. But a few years ago, we started uh, doing this thing as a family called uh, we would have themes for the year. So we would do things like, one of the themes was hospitality. And we just thought, hey, let's try to have as many people as we possibly could into our home over the course of the year. Another year we did a theme, I think it was 2011. One of the themes that we did was adventure. And so we were going to do everything that was adventurous. And so for Easter, uh, I bought Kristen a skydiving trip. And um, yeah, there's a picture of her jumping out of an airplane, which is awesome. And I thought, nothing says I believe in the resurrection like you jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> right? And people, all the time people ask me, so, I mean, did you do it? And I'm like, no, no, are you crazy? That's a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> we, did, we did find out six months later that the airplane she went up in crashed. How about that? Um, but she had a parachute on. What's the big deal, right? What's the problem? We, uh, that year, we also planted a church, which was um, pretty adventurous. And another year, we tried compassion. We thought we ought to be a little more compassionate. We nailed it so much, we did it a second time, another year. And uh, there are things in our lives. There are themes in our lives. Not just annual themes in our lives, but there are deep themes in our lives that drive and motivate our lives. And I'm just wondering, do you know what the theme is in your life? Do you know what the motivator is in your life? For some of us, I mean, maybe the motivator is shame, that you think there's something that was done to me as a child, as a teenager, and I'm ashamed of that. And I, I, you live your life in a way so as to cover that shame and not have to go back to that or relive that. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe there's things that happened um, in a marriage. Maybe there are things that you did in your job as a mom, as a dad, that, that you feel guilty for. And that's driving and that's motivating you in your life. For me, it's comfort. I, lo I love comfort. I love my air conditioning. I love it in my house. I love it in my car. I love a comfortable bed. And, and comfort can be one of those things that drives me, and if I'm not careful, can send me down paths in my life and in certain directions that I don't understand why I'm doing it, and the reason is comfort. For some of us, success is the motivator, right? Maybe you grew up in a home where all you had was two pairs of shoes, and those had holes in one of them. And you thought, I am never going back to that again. I will do anything rather than to go back to that. And that, and that poverty in your childhood drives you towards success. Or maybe you have a mom or a dad or an older brother. You were always so-and-so's younger sister, right? And they were super successful. And you think, I, I, whatever I do, I have to measure up and I have to attain to that. And I have to get to that for some of us, it's acceptance, that there's something deep inside of you that, that maybe it was a hurt, maybe something happened a long time ago, and, and you are motivated in your life for people to like you, for people to accept you, and you find your value and your worth 
is really high when people do love you and do accept you, but when they don't, it crushes you. Maybe it's control. Maybe, maybe for you, you, you look and something happens somewhere along the way and you think, I will never let it get out of control like that again. And so your life is organized and it's driven by this theme of control. And the thing that I want us to think about today is we not do you have a theme, do you have a motivator, do you have a driver, but is what is driving your life, the theme of your life, is it big enough to hold up the weight of your life? Does it have broad enough shoulders to carry the deepest desires and purpose and meaning in your life? Now, next week, we're going to start a brand new study on the book of Colossians. Pastor Joby will be back next week. And in that, we're going to spend about three months looking at how Jesus is before all things. And when the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, it, is, it was a new church that had started. And it started hearing about Jesus, and it launched, and things were going great. And then all of a sudden, these sort of competing voices and competing themes came up in the church. And so Paul writes to the church, and he wants them to remember, here is the driving thing. Here's the motivator at the core and at the center of it all that I want you to remember, that you can do lots of other good things, but the reason we're acting and what we're doing and why we're doing it is this one central theme. And so here's how Paul actually bookends the letter, how he begins it and how he ends it. And we know that's the theme because of this. In Colossians 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So that's how he starts the letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then if you go to uh, Colossians 4, 18... He ends it by saying, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. He'd been in prison. Grace be with you. That Colossians, from start to finish, is all about grace. Everything in the book of grace, from the opening line to the closing words, is all about grace. It's the theme that Paul wants to remind them of. And here's my definition of grace. Grace is the unearned, ill-deserved gift of God. That grace is the unearned, ill-deserved gift of God. That grace is, if you look in here, he says in, in chapter 1, grace is to you and it's peace from the Father. That grace is grace because it's always a one-way street. That it, that it starts with God. It originates with God. It belongs to God. It was created by God. And it always flows from God to us. Grace is only grace when it has a one-directional movement to it. That it always comes from God, flowing from his perfection and his love and his mercy and his holiness and his greatness and his glory down to us, that it always moves in one way. Now, when I was about four years old, five years old, I don't exactly remember, I was out with my uncle and we were hunting one day, and I know, shocker, right? Another preacher that hunts at 1122, but 
I'm not a Bulldog fan. I'm a Gator. So we got that going for you this morning. Um, it's all right. You guys that are, that are Gators can, can now cheer loud and proud. And um, I can't grow a beard, but I have some hair. It's getting grayer. But, um, but I'm hunting with my uncle. And we walk by this lake. And as we walk by this lake, I fall into the lake. And, and as I'm kind of bobbing up and down, like trying to swim, trying to get up and grasp air, all of a sudden I hear my uncle going, swim, swim, Adam, swim. And I'm thinking in my little four or five-year-old brain, don't you think if I knew how to swim, I would have done it by now? <laughs> like, I, I, th- thanks for the advice, but when you're drowning, Good advice for you to do more doesn't help you. It just makes the situation worse. And you fast forward about five years, and my dad and I were on a camping trip, and we were in this canoe. And I know you look at me and you're like, that guy knows how to handle a canoe. But I don't. So we're in a canoe, and we come around what in my mind was just raging rapids, probably just little ripples. But we come around this corner, and we're in this canoe. As we come around the corner, the canoe tips over. And my dad pops out. Big guy goes out. Me, my legs are caught up underneath the little bar in there, and the canoe starts to fill up with water. And I, I'm thinking, all right, here it is. It's been a glorious 10 years. But this is how I go. Here's Adam, death by canoe. Like, you know? And, and, and literally, I can see, feel the canoe filling up with water. And I really am at 10, 11 years old thinking, I'm going to die. And at that moment, what I don't hear is, swim! What I feel is my dad's hand grab me by the back of the neck and yank me out of the canoe. That's grace. That when your father, when you are helpless and you are dying and you are at your worst and you can't do anything, reaches down and in a one-way direction grabs you and pulls you out. That's grace. That it is completely unearned. And that it's grace to you and peace from the father. That what grace creates in us is peace. Now, do you know why grace creates peace? Because we need peace. That you and I, by our very nature, are not at peace with God. And that by our decisions and our actions rooted in that nature that's not at peace with God, we are in willing and glad and joyful rebellion against God. That, that we have fallen short of who God is and what God desires for us in our lives. And we are actually in rebellion against God. That we are wretched, black-hearted sinners. And what that means is that we are objects of the wrath of God. We are not at peace. We are at war with God by our nature and our actions. And when grace comes in, it creates peace. That peace isn't just a feeling, a nice, easy feeling. That peace is actually a right standing with God. That because of what God has done that is unearned by us, it is ill-deserved 
That you and I deserve God's holiness to be poured out in justice, which comes as wrath and judgment upon us. That's what you and I deserve. I remember when uh, we have two kids. Sophie's 11. Our son Gavin is 13. Um, I actually had to stay up last night past midnight so our teenage son could come home. Is that not crazy? I think, what, what happened all the years? But... Uh, we were buying our daughter a dress. She was just a little girl, and Kristen and I had bought our daughter a dress, and we came home, and we surprised her with it, and Gavin's kind of standing there. He's probably about six years old, and he's watching Sophie open up this present, and Sophie's getting all excited, and Gavin's over in the corner, and he lets out this exclamation, Dad, that's not fair, to which I turned to Gavin, and I was like, you want fair? I'll go buy you a dress. We'll go get a cute little flowery dress for you too. You want, you and I do not want fair. We, we don't want to get, fair is getting what you deserve. And you and I, when it comes to our heavenly father, do not want to get what we deserve. We want grace. We want an unearned, ill-deserved gift by God. And he says that it's by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus, by the will of God. It's a gift. You and I don't muster the will to get towards God. That in this one way street of God's grace towards us, you and I don't do anything. The apostle Paul in Romans 3.18 says, no one seeks God. No, not one of us. There's no such thing as a seeker towards God. If anybody's a seeker, it's God that seeks for us. That it's not by our will that we move towards God. It's by God's will that he moves towards us. It's the beauty of Christmas and what we just celebrated. And so God moves in his will. Now, when I say that, it does something to me and maybe it does it in you too. There's part of me that's like, yes, amen, that's awesome. I want that totally free, unearned, ill-deserved gift of God. And then there's the other side of me, like my son that's going, that's not fair. Especially as an American, that's not fair. What do you mean I can't ask God to, to do that? That's not fair. But it's a gift, and it's from God, our Heavenly Father. He calls God our Father, that when we receive this gift of God's grace, that it, that it puts us in a relationship, not just with God, some deity out there, but it makes God our Heavenly Father. That you and I become adopted into the family of God. That you and I become members, heirs, co-heirs with Christ to the kingdom of our heavenly father. And then he says, and I love this, in verse 2, he says, grace to you. And then in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, grace be with you. The grace is the thing that starts our whole relationship with God, and it is the thing that sustains us in our relationship every step of the way. That, it, that grace is the thing that pardons us of our sin, and grace is the power that continues to work inside of us so that we can grow in our relationship with God. That grace isn't just the ABCs of faith, that grace is actually the A to Z 
It's everything. It's not just the spark plug that kind of fires the car. It's the spark plug. It's the engine. It's the gas. It's the steering wheel. It's the seat. It's the whole thing. And it's to you. And it's to me. It's not just a concept. It is a personal, unearned, ill-deserved gift of God. And so Colossians is all about grace from start to finish. And the reason it's all about grace from start to finish is because the Bible is all about grace from start to finish. Now, when I say that, something inside of you, maybe you've thought this before, maybe you're thinking it right now, or you've heard it from somebody and you go, okay, I'm with you on the New Testament grace thing. But the Old Testament isn't, isn't, when I think about God in the Old Testament, I have more of this angry drill sergeant. And then when I get to the New Testament, there's Jesus. He's sort of this freewheeling hippie. Like, isn't, Adam, in the Old Testament, all about rules and religion and everything that I have to do in order to appease and placate and earn my way to God. And then I get over to the New Testament, and it's just all about peace and love and joy. How, how can I believe in a book, let alone a God, that is two different gods? But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the Bible is the story of grace from start to finish. In Genesis chapter 1, the very opening lines of the Bible, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know who didn't motivate God to create the heavens and the earth? Us. We didn't even exist We couldn't have pleaded with God to create us because we weren't created yet. The whole reason God created us was he was motivated out of his own love for himself. And when his love, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's love for one another poured out, it overflowed and creation occurred. And that's grace. You know, if you just look further down the page on your Bible, you get to Genesis chapter 3 and the wheels completely come off this thing. What started as this amazing, perfect gift by Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have dropped into this glad rebellion against God. They've looked at God and said, God, awesome that you made all of this. We got it. I'll take care of it. Thanks, God. I'll handle it from here. I got my own life. And then this is what is written in Genesis 3.8. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Do you see, when God could have walked away from Adam and Eve, he would have had every right to walk away from that moment. He walks towards them. That's grace. That God could have cursed Adam and Eve. And in that moment, he called out to them. That's grace. And then God turns to Satan, the one who attempted Adam and Eve in this moment, and he, and he speaks to Satan. And here's what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, and I love that, the he is singular. Do you know who the he is? The he is Jesus that, that Eve, Eve's offspring, he, Jesus, shall bruise or literally crush your head, Satan. 
That when God could have spoken death at that moment, he spoke the gospel. That in the midst of our sin, God at the very beginning is the first one to say, I know you can't do it. I'll send a savior on a rescue mission for you. I'm coming. My son will save you. He will do it all. And then in verse 21 of chapter 3, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. That, that when Adam and Eve were in their sin, God could have killed them and instead he covered them. That he provided all the covering. They tried to cover themselves. They tried to hide themselves. And God says, you can't do that on your own. And then God steps in and he sacrifices an animal and he covers their sin and their shame and their guilt on his own. That's grace. Now, if you fast forward a few generations in the story, you get to Genesis chapter 6. It's the story of Noah, right? Arky, arky, two by two. Remember that one? You taught your kids that? I, I still don't know why we teach our kids the story of Noah when they're little kids. I feel like it's sort of an R-rated story if you read the whole thing. Because here, let me just read this to you. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. God looks out over all creation and he says every, not just every action, but every intention of the thoughts of the heart of all of humanity is only evil all the time. Do you know what you call that? Total depravity. There's, there, God looks and it says, and the Lord God regretted, like remorse, that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But, that's a great word in the Bible, by the way, but... Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God looked down over all of humanity and he saw only evil all the time and not only in their actions but in their thoughts and he feels regret and he feels remorse and in his holiness and in his rule and reign over all creation he had every right to just blot it all out and start all over again and in the midst of it he looks and he sees Noah. Noah who is a part of the only evil all the time. Noah is not righteous in and of himself but he finds favor that word favor is an incredible word. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And when they translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, the word that they used for favor is the exact same word that they used for grace. That Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That when everything goes wrong in our life, and yet God saves us out of it, that's grace. A few generations later, a guy named Abraham shows up on the scene. Abram is his name at the beginning. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God takes an average ordinary guy on the backside of a desert hurting animals and makes a ridiculous promise to him. And he says, through you, an ordinary person, I'm going to bless the entire world. When God takes ordinary people and blesses the world through them, that's grace. So generations go by and the people of God get enslaved. They're in Egypt and God looks down and he finds a guy named Moses, a guy that stutters has murder on his rap sheet. And in Exodus 6, 6, God says to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. Now listen to what God says and what he promises. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. That when, the God, when God makes these massive, one-sided declarations and promises and then delivers on every single one of them, that's grace. So they leave Egypt, God lets them out, and they're wandering through the desert. In Exodus 13, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. That when God goes first, when God goes before us, when God is before all things, that's grace. These people were literally lost in the desert, just wandering just out of slavery. And God says, no, you know what? I'm going to go ahead of you. And I'm going to lead you every step of the way. I don't ever lose a single thing that's mine. And you will never get lost when you are with me. I will guide you by day. I will lead you by night. And when God leads us every step of the way, when we feel lost, that's grace. And as they wander through the desert, they get to a mountain. Moses goes up on the mountain, and he gets the Ten Commandments, right? Now, I know that's what you've been thinking. You're like, when's he going to get to the Ten Commandments? When are you going to get to all the laws? Because that's where we have to obey, right? The laws, <laughs> there's the obedience. That's where grace all falls apart in this Old Testament thing. But listen to how the Ten Commandments are given. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery. Then he launches in to give the Ten Commandments. That the Ten Commandments were not given as a condition to which they had to obey in order to be freed from Egypt. The Ten Commandments were given under the banner that God had already set them free. 
That the Ten Commandments themselves are a grace and a gift from God that God would set us free and then not just leave us to flounder in our freedom, but God would set us free and then show us how to live into that maximum freedom. That's the grace of God. There's a whole book devoted to a guy named Job in the Old Testament. It's probably the oldest book in the entire Bible. And Job's life was incredible. It was great. And then through just the oddest circumstances, he loses absolutely everything. And his friends are telling him, curse God and die, Job. Like, just, it's over. Walk away from God, end it all. If it goes this bad, if you're suffering this bad, Job, just walk away. And this is how Job responds. For I know that my Redeemer lives And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. That when we suffer, but yet somehow there's strength, and somehow there's perseverance, And it comes from a place that's rooted in a trust, in a conviction that Jesus Christ will stand resurrected before us. And in our flesh, we will see our Savior, even after our suffering. That kind of perseverance and that kind of strength, that's grace. And in Luke chapter 1, the Christmas story, the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. And Mary should have been afraid. Mary was afraid. If you're a single girl, find yourself pregnant, especially in a time like that, you would have been terrified. And and the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found, what's the word? Favor. You have found grace with God. That when life goes sideways and you're terrified, but God gives this peace that goes beyond anything that we could ever imagine, that's grace. And then you get to the end of Jesus' life, and he's hanging on a cross, nailed up to a cross. And there are two guys, one on either side of him. One, One thief over here is just hurling insults at him. Save yourself. If you're really God, get yourself down. Save you. Save us. The other guy on the other side looks at Jesus, and he says, will you remember me? When you head into your kingdom today, will you remember me? And Jesus in Luke 23 says, today you will be with me in paradise. I I literally got to sit with my grandmother as she was dying in our hospital room. And, And I got to share the gospel of Jesus with her. And, and I said, she could barely even talk. And I just said, if you believe this, just squeeze my hand. And she literally squeezed my hand. And that's the last thing that I remember being communicated between my grandmother and I. There's no amount of good works that that thief could have done on the cross to warrant being with Jesus in paradise. There's no amount of good deeds my grandmother could have done hooked up to all of those tubes to warrant being with the king and his kingdom forever. When God looks at us and says, there is absolutely nothing you can do, no amount of good works, no quality of good works that you can do to earn it, but today you get to be with me in paradise, that's grace. And then at the end, 
literally the closing line of the Bible. The closing line. John is writing in Revelation, and this is how he ends all of Scripture. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Amen literally means let it be so. The grace of the Lord be with you. Let it be so. Drop the pen. Walk away. Done. Bible closed. That's how it ends. Colossians is all about grace from start to finish because the Bible is all about grace from start to finish because our God is all about grace from start to finish. And the question is, how would you like for grace? How would you like for your life to be about grace from start to finish? You see, when when grace comes into our life, here's what grace means. Grace means that Christianity is totally unique in all the world. Every other world religion says you have to do something in order to get to God. And Christianity says you don't have to do anything because God has already done everything for you in Jesus Christ. It means that Christianity technically isn't a religion. A religion is man's efforts to earn his way to God. Christianity is really a relationship. It's faith. Grace means that that you and I get to stop pretending and performing. That you and I don't have to fake it anymore for anybody because we are completely and totally accepted by our Heavenly Father. That we don't have to perform anymore because in Jesus Christ, God has accomplished every single thing we need for life and hope and godliness. You and I, We can stop blaming because of grace, and we can freely repent and confess. Like, it's it's God's kindness, his grace, that leads us to repentance. It's not our repentance that leads to God's kindness. Grace draws us to repentance. Repentance is the response to the kindness and the grace of God. We don't have to blame anymore. We can just confess because we've been accepted. Grace means that, that we can stop seeking revenge and forgive. Some guys show up to Jesus one day and they ask him, hey, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? And Jesus is like, good try. No. How about 70 times seven times? How about you when somebody wrongs you, don't forgive them once. Don't forgive them once a day for a week. How about you forgive them 490 times? Or you just, you just forgive until you can't even remember. You can't count and keep track. And you know why we get to do that? Because that's exactly the way God has treated us in Jesus Christ. I will forgive you over and over and over and over and over and over. You cannot out the grace of God. You can't do it. Your sin isn't good enough. You're not a good enough sinner. You're just not. You're just not. God, grace just doesn't make me good, but grace makes me alive. My favorite verse in the Bible is Ephesians 2, 8. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us while we were dead, In our trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life to the fullest. 
Christianity is not a religion to create a better version of you, to create a a good southern citizen. God came to make you alive. And grace makes you alive. Grace means that I can really love. Because I don't have to love you based on you. I can love you based on Jesus. Grace means that that I can joyfully share the good news of the gospel. Grace is really good news. You see, if our message to people, here's why we wouldn't share with people about Christianity. If the message of Christianity was, hey, um, God will love you if you get your act together. God will love you if you whip that addiction that Pastor Ben talked about earlier. God will love you if you clean up your marriage. God will love you if you get your kids in order. God will love you if you quit doing X, Y, or Z or quit looking at that on the computer. That's not good news. Instead, Christianity is incredible good news. Grace is incredible good news that we get to share because we just say, you know what? We believe that our mess is too big for you and I to clean up on our own, but God came and has done everything to clean it up for us. How would you like that? That's joyful good news. Grace means that salvation is secure. A few years ago, I was in Costa Rica, and we were going out to this children's ranch to help build it. Think of like a 365-day-a-year boarding school. And we go out there, and we get to this river, and and the school, the orphanage, is on the other side. And there's this bridge that, I'm not joking, is not much wider than this podium. And we're in this Mitsubishi SUV piled up with people, weight, gear, everything. And I, I'm like, hey, pull that over. So we stop, and I get out, everybody gets out, and I'm looking at the bridge, and I'm like, nope, not going to do it. Not, not driving that across that with all of you guys. No way. I'll swim. We'll see if I can make it through the river this time. I don't know. But I'm not doing it. And they're, oh, come on, Adam, you can do it. Let's go. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're sitting there arguing about it. All of a sudden, a dump truck just flies across the bridge. (laughs) And I'm like, well, everybody in the SUV, let's go. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite pastors, and he writes this. The bridge of grace will bear your weight, brother. Thousands of big sinners have gone across. God's grace is a bridge that is safe and secure, and it will hold the weight. And if you're thinking, my sin is too big, with Spurgeon, I would just say millions of giant sinners have gone across, and it's held the weight. And the reason that I know, I know it. I've experienced it. It will hold you too. Grace means that I can suffer really well. I don't know about you, but when I suffer, I, I, can, I can slip into a mindset where I think, is God mad at me? Is God punishing me? Is God angry at me? Is God getting me back? Am I, am I sort of having to even out the scales with him? And so this is payment for something else that I've done. And then grace reminds me, no, my circumstances and my condition do not dictate God's feelings towards me. That, that what I am going through in my life have nothing to do with the love and the mercy and the grace and the affection of my Lord. Grace dictates. The cross dictates. When Jesus said, it is finished, 
He meant it is finished. That you no longer have to pay for your sin. That what you are going through is not punishment. Jesus took that on himself. Grace is how God feels towards you. And that means that in the midst of my suffering, I can see maybe God is doing something that is producing something greater in me. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's for my good. Maybe it's for your good. Grace means that I want to obey and I can obey. Instead of being obey in order to get to God, I get to obey because God has already gotten to me. When I think and I just ponder on what God has done throughout all of history and the grace upon grace upon grace that has been poured out in my life, I want to walk with a God like that. I want to obey a God like that. And grace not only creates the desire, but it's also the power within us to do what we could never do before. So we get, we get to obey. And finally, grace is what glorifies God the most. Grace is what glorifies God more than your actions, more than your thoughts, more than anything else. Grace glorifies God because here's what's going to happen. The end of life, I don't know, this may or may not happen, but you get to the end of your life and imagine this, you stand before God at the pearly gates and you get to say to God, God says, why should I let you in? And you say, God, look at me. Look at all I've done for you, God. I mean, look at, look at how well I led my family. Look at how I, I read my, my Bible and look at how I prayed. And God, look at the ministry that I've done and look at, look at me, God, look at me, look at me. Who gets the credit in that? Not God. It's God, give me credit. God, give me glory. God, shine the spotlight on me. Put the, put the lights in the auditorium on me, God. But grace means you stand before God and you say, God, not an ounce of me, all you. Why should you let me in? Not me, but because of your son, Jesus Christ. And that glorifies God. That glorifies him beyond anything in this world. Now that, that kind of high octane grace that, that ought to seem a little, a little far-fetched, shouldn't it? Because everything in us, in our culture, and our society says, you earn it, you do it, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you make it happen, and if you don't, you don't get it. And so for a, a preacher to stand up and say, no, everything in God is a gift of grace to you for you to accept, you ought to be going, how do I know that's true? That's a, that sounds great, but how do you know that's true? And the reason that you can know that grace is true and that will hold your weight is when you look at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that grace is the thing that when we look at God and we go, there is a holy God, and I am far from holy. And that God is a God of justice, that he won't ignore the sin and the injustices of the world. He won't brush over them and let them go. 
And that sounds great, and we want a God of justice, but God's holiness and God's justice means judgment, and it means wrath upon you and I. But the Bible also says that God is love. So how do you, ju- how do you, how do you work out a God that is holy, a God that is just, and a God of love? The place that is all reconciled is the grace of God at the cross of Jesus Christ. You see the holiness of God in Jesus, the one who did not deserve to die death. We deserve to die that death. We deserve to be punished for our sins. He didn't. And he went up on the cross and he bore the weight and the punishment and the wrath of God. God poured out his justice on Jesus that we might become the righteousness of God. And we experienced the love of God. And then they laid him in a tomb after he said, it is finished. Everything you and I need to be in a relationship with our heavenly father was finished on the cross of Jesus. It was perfect. Nothing else needed to be added. And then three days later, God resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. And in the resurrection, Jesus walked around for 40 days telling people, hey, do you remember everything that I told you about that free gift of God that's unearned and ill-deserved? Because I'm alive, you can now believe that and you can now trust it. The, the, The cross pays for the grace and the resurrection authenticates all of the promises of God's grace. The reason that you know that grace is true is because there was a man who predicted his death and resurrection and then he pulled it off. (laughs) I don't know about you, but a guy that says I'm gonna die and I will be raised from the dead and then does it, you know where I'm going? With that guy. I'm with him. I may not have all the answers. I may not know everything, but I'm going with him. And so my question for you today is, Do you want the unearned, ill-deserved gift of God himself in Jesus Christ? When I was 16 years old, I had a sweet Jeep Wrangler. It was awesome. No doors, no top. I worked at the beach, right? I mean, come on. It was awesome. Turned the radio up, and I, I just thought I was so cool in that car. Do you know how I got that car? I didn't work for it. I didn't get a loan for it. I didn't steal it. Probably thought about it, but I didn't steal it. One Christmas, um, my mom and dad gave me this Christmas present. And I opened the Christmas present up. And you know those little characters where there's one inside of the next? If you know what that, those things are called, come find me after the service. I'd like to know what they're called. So my parents give me one of those. And I opened it up. I'm a 16-year-old boy. I open it up, I look at it, and I'm like, sweet, great, thanks for Christmas. I set it aside. My parents are like, no, 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 open that up. I open one up, and there's another one inside. They're like, keep going. Peel it back, peel it back. Down at the center is a set of keys. My dad said, it's yours. It's yours. There's a Jeep sitting out in the front driveway. It was unearned, and if you knew me as a child the kid who put his puppy in the freezer. (laughs) Just telling you, man, it nipped at me. He came out, it's fine, it's all right. (laughs) 
kid who would sneak out as a teenager, drive around in the middle of the night with girls, you would, you would go, that is ill-deserved. It's crazy that your father would hand that to you. It's grace. Do you, will you accept the unearned, ill-deserved gift of God in Jesus Christ? Will you just unwrap the gift and accept it? And will you make it not just the theme of this year, but will you let it be the driving force in your life? Will you let it be the motivator for you in your life? Will you live it out? Will you live by it? Will you love it? Will you eat and breathe the grace of God in Jesus Christ? It's a free gift for you to accept. Would you bow your heads? And if you've never accepted the gift of God in Jesus Christ, the free gift of his grace that makes you right with your heavenly father, adopts you into the family and brings you into peace with your father. If you've never done that, if you're tired of striving and earning and you want a safe and secure bridge that will bear the weight of your life and you can have confidence that you are right with your heavenly father and that he loves you, would you just raise your hand right now? Yeah, absolutely. Heavenly father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you that it, it blows our mind, God. Thank you that it is so radical, it is so beyond anything that we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. God, don't ever let us take your grace for granted. Don't ever let us tame your grace. God, let it run wild in our lives. God, unleash your grace in this church that we might be a blessing to this city the people of this town might turn around and go, what in the world is that all about? And we would say it's the grace of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the lives that you are changing, that you are bringing people from death to life, not by our works, but by yours and your grace alone. May we be a church that lives every moment by grace. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to respond to that. We're going to respond to our God who has poured out his grace. And if you need to come in light of grace and pray, you need to repent freely. You need to just thank God. You need to bend a knee and just say, God, I am so grateful for grace. You need to ask for God's grace and circumstances of your life. I invite you to come down and do that. We, get, we respond by giving. There are boxes along the back wall, and we don't give in order to earn anything from God. It's just a, it's a response of gratitude for God's immeasurable grace. And then we're going to sing. And there's a line in this song that talks about seeing what grace did for you and for me. And so when we get there, let's just sing it out as a response and worship to our Heavenly Father. Would you stand? Let's worship.